I'm Marissa Betts and I've got Mary with me in the studio today. Thanks for coming, Mary. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so Cyflix is our uh, collab between uh, UNE Life, Tune FM and the Belgrave Cinema to do some really cool science outreach by uh, screening a, a film with some science themes and getting one of our awesome researchers at UNE to give a talk and a Q&A uh, as well with the film. And next week we've got Gattaca. So yeah, 1997, um, Jude Law, uh, who else we got in there? Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's peak 90s. Um, and uh, Mary is a senior lecturer here at UNE, a biomedical scientist. Um, and so yeah, Mary's more than well placed um, to be talking with Gattaca. So yeah, thanks for agreeing to do that. I know, it's really exciting. <laughs> Genetics, <hey. Yes. laughs> the best science. Sorry, paleontologist. <laughs> yeah, we don't really have genes to work with a lot of the time. I don't know. I mean, Jurassic Park had a bit of... It's true, know. it's true. Um, yeah, so, you know, it could happen, definitely. So I feel like just every... every Cyflix movies got something to do with genetics in some way. Maybe <laughs> you can always bring it back to genetics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll just come to all of them. <laughs> well, um, Mary, you've got a uh, huge CV. Um, you're a superstar of STEM, a homeward bound alumna, um, and a STEM coach for Curious Minds. Um, and you know, so all of those things, you've got a lot of um, outreach on your plate as well. But you are a researcher here at UNE. Like, can you explain some of the aspects of your research? I know. I feel like so much of my time is spent talking about some of the women in STEM and science <laughs> outreach stuff. But yeah, I do actually we'll do. get on to that. Yeah. I do actually do research <laughs> as well. Uh, yeah, I work with our a research group here called the Brain Behaviour Research Group. And we're really interested in kind of the like the biology and the physiology and what's going on with mental health disorders. Mm. Um, as a geneticist, I'm particularly interested in our genes and how they contribute to those kind of things. So we do a lot of work on um, depression mostly, uh, a little bit of work on autism spectrum disorder as well. And yeah, the, the sort of the big projects that I'm involved in are working at looking at depression and trying to understand why, you know, some people are more susceptible to it than others. And is it something in our DNA, little changes that make some of us a bit more susceptible to suffering from that? Is it, you know, that some people are just more resilient? What's that kind of balance look like? So, it's yeah. A, it's such a fascinating idea to think about that because when we think about depression, those kinds of um, mental health problems, uh, I guess it's, it's a complex area because um, it must involve a lot of, like, the environment that you're living in um, and so how do you pull out the influence of of genetics um, when when it can be really a complicated um, experience for people yeah it is really complex because like so many things you know whether it's human behavior or other you know characteristics or diseases it's often part to do with our genes and then part yeah. to do with the environment so like how you how you tease those two things apart is really tricky the way that, that we look at things is we've got a huge number of um, volunteer study participants, actually all from around the New England region, and they've given us like a mental health survey, so asking about you know, whether they've had any different symptoms of depression, you know, some of their life experiences, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I sound kind of vague on that because I'm not the psychologist who does okay. that bit. <laughs> so, you know, somebody else does that bit. Uh, and then they've also been kind enough to give us things like um, cell samples to extract DNA from and blood samples that we can measure all sorts of things in. And so what we can do is 
like as far as looking at things like genes goes, we can pick a particular gene that we might want to look at and I can genotype all of those people and see what variations they have. And then we can look back and see if there's like a kind of a correlation between those that have experienced either depression or some sort of, of the symptoms of depression. Mm. And we can figure that thing, those kind of things out. So if there's a particular genetic variant that pops up all the time or more commonly mm-hmm. in people who've suffered from depression, then that kind of gives us an idea that that might be a gene that's involved. So then we have to look at those further. Right. So what's the end game that people can be genetically tested and flagged for having more like susceptibility to these kinds of issues? Yeah, that could be one thing that we do. So one of the groups of people that we've worked with is prostate cancer patients because men going through treatment for prostate cancer, huge rates of depression, like more than double the rate of suicide compared to other people their age. And so we were like, okay, what is it? Is it, you know, is it just that some people are more resilient or is it that some people are genetically susceptible? If we could kind of figure out that genetic component we could screen maybe populations not I'm not suggesting like we go around and just like screen everyone in the whole world and go hey that you've got (laughs) these susceptibility (laughs) genes but maybe for people going through that we know are going to go through those kind of traumatic experiences that would be helpful um, to kind of flag because we know that with intervention that can really help so like trying to identify people early yes and provide the appropriate support yeah and help build that resilience and yeah that kind of support but we're also interested in looking not just at genes but at other things we can measure like i said people give us blood samples right yeah all the different things that we can measure in those whether that's you know different hormones or different neurotransmitters or all sorts of stuff that we can measure so we might be able to one day use that as well like as a diagnostic kind Mm -hmm. of tool because right now you go to the doctor and it's just a, a survey, like a self-reporting survey mm-hmm. that you do. And it's kind of like, okay, that either puts you in the box of depressed or not. And then if you are depressed, like maybe try this treatment. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. Try something else. It's if an ordeal for people, isn't it? It takes can take like years yeah. for people to find the right thing. Mm-hmm. So if we could maybe rely more on a bit of biological information, then we could maybe help choose the right kind of treatment for people a bit easier. Make it a bit more effective and, yeah instead of that long drawn out process that we currently have. I mean, um, you know, I'm from a completely different field to you in science, of course, but when I um, hear you talk and think about people working in biomedical science, like it seems to be really driven from a place of trying to help people. Is that what got you into science? Is that how you sort of found your pathway to where you're working now? It's certainly one of the things that I really like about what I'm Mm. doing now is that potential. It's really interesting because what I did sort of coming through in my scientific training was completely, completely different. Uh, when I did my honours degree, I was studying fungal genetics. Oh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, looking at some, some fungi and what made them more fungi or less cool. pathogenic. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty fuzzy little things. <laughs> uh, and then I did my PhD. I was working down at the CSIRO here and I was working on um, spermatogonial stem cells in cattle. Oh. So a uh, very different kind of field. <laughs> what, for what purpose? Um, assisted reproductive technology. Oh, yes, yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. wow. So that was kind of cool, but very, very different. And then uh-huh. even when I first started working at UNE, um, I was doing some work with another um, researcher looking at soil microbes and using sort of genetic technologies to identify what's living in the soil and how farming practices and things might mm-hmm. impact on that. Um so I've gotten, yeah, so the, everything like, from like yeah. fungi and bacteria to cows to Lots of people. applications in your work, you know, yeah. to, I guess, 
industry or people's lives or yeah I kind of always feel like being a geneticist or a molecular geneticist molecular biologist I can apply those skills across pretty mm. much anything because everything every living's got DNA so that's cool right it doesn't change much yeah there's always questions <laughs> yeah yeah ask. it doesn't matter if you're a little bacterium or a person it's <laughs> the same basic stuff and the same techniques and things we can use to analyze it um, but at the same time I always kind of feel like yeah that sort of jack of all trades master of none because mm. I've never had that linear kind of thing where you know, people do their oh, honors yeah. and then a PhD in the same thing and then they work right directly in that same thing and I've changed a few times so. there's so much to be said for having breadth in your ex- your life experience and in your career so yeah it's you know, kind of fun you can kind of talk to anyone about anything we've worked in so many yeah, different areas I think it gives you a huge edge so yeah keep doing that I reckon it's fun I know like I've supervised you know students working on turkey viruses and other things like yeah that's so cool everything's got <laughs> DNA so you can just go from one area to another no worries and with all of your outreach um, commitments, um, is that coming from a place of like wanting to help people as well? Like, what mo- motivates you to do um, the kind of outreach that you do? Yeah, it's funny. I was somebody asked me the other day about all the things I was doing, and I wrote them all down, and then I was like, <laughs> "Wow, that's kind of a lot." Calendar's quite quite full. Yeah, but I I really just love kind of telling stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think I'm probably better at telling stories and talking about science than actually doing research. <laughs> you got to find your niche somewhere. You know, I just, yeah, I love when you can just like tell people about all the cool mm-hmm. stuff that's happening. Yep. It's funny, when I was at school, I was always really good at English and I think my mum always thought I'd be a writer or a journalist or something. So I think that's always been in me, that kind of yeah storytelling and just, yeah, wanting to communicate well, that's with a, people. I forgot, oh, you, you write a column for the local paper. I do. Well, it's not just the local paper. It's like the Australian Community Media Network. Which oh, is, yeah, it's my mistake. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> don't undersell what I'm doing here, Marissa. Come on. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I think uh, goes out to. I think it's about 150 different newspapers across the country. How do you find time to do all this stuff, Mary? <laughs> See, I find that really easy. Um, that's gosh, that sounds really braggy, doesn't it? I find it very easy <laughs> to just write a newspaper column. <laughs> But I do. It's it's four hundred words, so it's okay. not like right. you know. Where do you get your ideas for the columns? Oh god, that's, just like, that's the tricky one. Okay. Um, sometimes it's just like you, there's something happening in the news. Like obviously, you know, COVID's been such big news for a while now. So I've written a couple mm-hmm. of things about COVID and vaccinations and whatever else. Um, you know, maybe there's an international day of whatever comes up, and I'm like, cool, I can write something about that. Mm-hmm. Um, other times it's something my son says, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, we've written about why farts smell and. <laughs> All sorts of things because he's asked me questions and I'm like, yeah, cool, we'll write about that. So sometimes it's just everyday life stuff that happens and I think that'd be a good story. Yeah. And then other times it's, yeah, yeah, some sort of current events or something. Yeah. And then some days I'm just like, oh, gosh, I have no idea. (laughs) So the deadline is like ticking down and I'm like, oh, (laughs) you've got to come up with something, write something. Yeah, you need to have like um, a list somewhere of just ideas that you can brain dump in there and draw back, come back to. Yeah. I used to have (laughs) that. I've been doing it for a few. It's been about three years now, I think. Oh, wow. So I think I went through the initial list quite quickly. Um, At the moment, I've got like, I think the next two already ideas, which is a very unusual situation. Yeah. Usually it's like the morning it's due. <laughs> yeah, we always tell our students don't, yeah, don't leave don't until do the last minute. minute. Yeah. Yeah. Well, every, if it every wasn't week. for the last minute, nothing would get done. <laughs> <laughs> so every, every, you know, every fortnight it's like Monday morning, don't book me into any meetings or anything because <laughs> I'm going to be needing to write that column in a hurry. But luckily, like I do find it 
really quite easy to write, and it's yeah. it's so much um, it's so much nicer than writing academic. Sure, stuff. yeah, yeah. You know, I don't have to like go through the very rigorous process mm-hmm. of like I do the research, but I don't have to cite all these references, and I don't have to write it in such a formal style. Yeah, it's you very can kind of sound a bit human yeah. as well, which is good. It's very much your own kind of style, so yeah. I like that. Um, a lot of your um, outreach and um, those other commitments are really driven towards like um, supporting women in STEM. Um, and so, you know, you're in, well, we're both in the superstars of STEM program, yeah, which go, is super easy. superstars. Oh. <laughs> um, and you've done the Homeward Bound program to Antarctica. Um, huge. Yeah, huge. yeah, yeah. That must have been such a huge, amazing experience. Yes. I'm, I'm keen to, to go maybe one day. Yeah, I'd love to um, come back, actually. What, um, like, what have some of these programs done for you, do you think? Oh, I think... Honestly, one of the biggest things that I've got out of some of these programs, like obviously there's, they're teaching you something. Mm-hmm. So there is development of, of leadership skills and thinking about, you know, like strategic mm. planning and career planning and all sorts of stuff. Like that has all been amazing. But I think some of the best things have been the network, like yeah. just knowing all these other women in STEM across not just the country, but across the world. Um, you know, we're out in here in Armadale. There's lots yeah. of awesome people here, but, you know, it's a small place. Yeah. We're relatively isolated. So to just, like, be able to broaden that network, because it can be hard to network from yes. here. You can't always afford to go to conferences or, like, big workshops and things. So It really keeps you, like, part of this really big community. Yeah, exactly. I love going on the Superstars Zoom meetings and seeing, like, 60 boxes <laughs> with people's faces in them and everybody's... Everybody's so excited, enthusiastic, and you feel like you're part of a thing where everyone's got your back. And, and I think they had to, you know, in Zoom, how you can, like, private message people. Yeah. And they, like, turned that off after the first few because everyone was just too busy. <laughs> <laughs> the Zoom, the, the chat in the Zoom goes off. Everyone's always, like, I know. you know, and giving then, like, each the other Slack props. And then, like, the Slack channel where everyone's talking. Yes. And we have the same for, you know, Homeward Bound. We've, still, oh, yes. like, we've got, like, a WhatsApp group uh-huh. from my cohort, but then also, like, Facebook pages for all the alumni group and mm-hmm. things and it's just yeah it's huge and it's kind of cool because whenever you want to know something or if you need to connect with somebody doing a particular thing you just chuck a message in one of these groups and there's like five people go oh yeah either I can do that or I know someone who can and just get like all those connections which is which is really amazing and I think it's also helped my confidence a lot massively um, yeah. just being part of these kind of programs and the promotion that comes along with them and I think they give you yeah. a lot of they educate you a lot about the system that you're in and that can help you be yeah. more confident in what you're you're doing yeah definitely um, like do you feel that too it's like yes. you kind of think you're you know that imposter syndrome type yeah thing it that helps a lot with that raises its head and just being part of these things and it's funny because you, you go into it and you're looking at all these other women going oh my god these are all yeah. amazing yeah and then you just realize at some point that they're looking at you and thinking the same thing. And you're yeah. like, ah, <laughs> that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it is yeah. kind of crazy. Um, I have found being part of Superstars, even only for the six months that we've been in there, has been a huge, a huge um, help in my life uh, and in my career. And I, I really felt like it was one of those programs that kind of did what it said on the box. Like it, it yeah. is really, I mean, the, the, the end game is to increase the visibility of women in STEM and give people the confidence and those, um, uh, the skills, media skills, um, which is uh, at funny where in a 
you know, a recording studio <laughs> now <laughs> using the skills that they've been exactly. teaching us, which and is pretty amazing. That was that was also one of the reasons, like, obviously I already had an interest in kind of the media and communications and things. So when that program came up, I was like, uh, how do I how do I get myself yeah, in there? I need so this. I was really, really stoked to get into it this year because I just thought this is something that I actually am already really interested in doing. Mm-hmm. I'd love to build more skills there. You know, you sort of have academic mentors, right? Mm. Like yeah. there's always people around universities that you can talk to and have that kind of academic side of mentorship, but to be able to have the opportunity to really broaden horizons and mm-hmm. speak to all sorts of people outside of yeah. science and outside of academia, it that's what I was kind of reach. craving, yeah. I think. Yeah, absolutely, Yeah, for sure. Because I'm like, I think I know now enough about, like, yes, publish your research and do these leadership roles and blah, blah, blah. You'll get your promotions. That's mm. all cool. But I'm like, what? I want to go more wider than that. I yeah. don't just want to yeah. limit myself to being an academia for oh, the yeah. rest of my life. <laughs> so. It's world domination. That's what it's about. I mean, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like a cult, doesn't it? <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you as well, because uh, do you get, um, when you do media and stuff, do you get these sort of... Like those, the hard questions. Like, um, so the stats tell us that actually the the parity parity in STEM is not closing as fast as as we want. Like, what's going on, and what's the problems, and how do we fix it? Like, what do you say when people ask you that yeah, stuff? Yeah, I think I've been really kind of fortunate so <laughs> far, and all the dealings that I've had with media. Like you hear horror stories yeah. about people getting really ambushed in interviews <laughs> or whatever else. I don't know, but about your experience, but I've always been really lucky, and all the journalists that I've talked to have been so like supportive and you know, kind of yeah, that's nice. Which yeah, is, which is which is <laughs> good. Like but yeah, I, I know that other people safe space. <laughs> yeah, safe space. I think <laughs> because they actually you know they want to make you look yeah. good and they want to have good content, so they don't want to yeah uh, ambush you with too many tricky questions. But yeah, I think questions like that are really tough. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Um, but I think that's the thing. Like, yeah, stats might show us at the moment that things aren't changing so much. But does that mean we should just like go? Oh well, yeah. let's give up then. Like, yeah, right. We've got to keep trying. I kind of wonder what it points to. Like, is it you know because we're both part of the Curious Minds program, um, which is encouraging high school girls um, in interested in STEM. Yeah, shout out to my two wonderful students I had this year. Yeah, that was so brilliant to work yeah. With. Shout out to my student. Um, Leoma, she was awesome. Um, and we're doing the final camp on Saturday. Oh, I didn't see it. Mine was oh, mine was on Tuesday. I oh, okay. done final camp. Yeah, oh, we're okay. in different we're camps in different this year. Camps. Yeah, 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 yeah. So mine are all done. Oh, and their presentations oh. and everything at Did the end. Did they rock them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's I was awesome. like a proud mama. <laughs> <laughs> well, those sorts of programs, like, make me feel like, oh, well, you know, when people are younger, there doesn't seem, I don't know if there, there seems to be so much of a, um, a difference between the interests of, of girls and boys in STEM. It sort of seems to be something, that gap seems to be something that widens and widens as you kind of keep I going through the system. I think it's still such a societal thing. Yeah. Like, you know, I've got a little boy. Yeah. Well, he's not so little anymore. He's getting big now. <laughs> but like he was four and he said to me, "Yeah, like, mum, you can't be a doctor because you're a girl. <laughs> and I was like, literally am a doctor, but okay. <laughs> And, you know, like, obviously that was never coming from my household no. and where, where he was growing up. But it, he lives in the same society as the mm. rest of us. And he was going to preschool. And it's still like you go and talk to the kids even in preschool. And they very much have these, like, gender roles yep. and things down. You know, the dolls are for girls and the boys play with the cars. And, yeah. and they think the same thing about jobs. Like, if you ask them about yep. 
who does different jobs it's like yeah no doctors are men still and it's crazy isn't it so uh, in in paleo yeah. as well you know we have um uh, a pretty big uh, diversity <laughs> issue a little bit uh, yeah <laughs> in, in earth science in general it's quite poor but um you know it's it's one of those things that if you just sort of stand around and wait for students or postgrad students to turn up on your door they'll pro- it's probably more likely that that'll be a, a boy yeah you know so it, I in my, in my opinion I think that it's society that's doing the um, the winnowing out of girls before they even reach that stage where they're going to come to yeah. you and, and do that's, a project you know, coming back to superstars I think that's yeah. why it is a really important thing because if we have more women across all of these different areas being on TV or in the news yeah. you know if that's what exactly. that's what Visibility. students start to see from a younger age then it's easy to picture yourself but you know, every time I talk to groups of school kids and if you do ask them, you know, what do you see when, when it comes to science news? Who do you see? And they're like, oh, it's all white men. It's blokes. Right? Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully we can slowly kind of change that. And yeah. Then, yeah, that just that visibility and going, people going, oh, yeah, that is, you know, someone yes. that looks like me or is, you know, from an area or a background yep. like mine. And mm-hmm. that really helps. So I think that's why it's important to also... The stories that we exactly. that we tell as part of that program. Yes, you know, that's what I liked about the superstars program. Yeah. That like I, I liked that it almost had this kind of insidious aim to infiltrate the media <laughs> yeah. with with women experts, female experts in STEM, and to normalise um, those kinds yeah. of role models for for boys and girls, of course. And I think just yeah, telling the the stories of real scientists yeah. as well because. You know, I think for a long time, science has been a bit, you know, stuffy, very serious. Yeah. You know, but we're just real people. Exactly. Yeah. So. I mean, it's about encouraging diversity in general, I would say, you know, like, and so if you can present yourself as a real person, like I would, I would prefer to have real people around me at work, like yeah. and have students that have, you know, good yeah. senses of humour and have real lives but I think and there other is interests. still that kind of divide between, you know, like academia oh, and the rest of the world. And yeah, still sure. a lot of people, it's like, oh, I've got a doctorate, <laughs> therefore I am, you know, holier than thou. And it's like, yeah, yeah. nah, you just spend a lot of time studying one particular thing. <laughs> not that special. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, we should probably talk about Gattaca. We should. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie's on uh, next Thursday. Yeah. I'm super excited to see it again. I mean, I saw it probably when it came out. Yeah, I honestly I haven't seen ago. it for a long time. No, so. no, no. no. Um, and keen. yeah, so like, when did you see it? Did you see it in the movies or oh, maybe after? No, it would have been after because I was like... Yeah, right. 97. 13 or something mm-hmm. when it came out. So, and... You know, probably lived in <laughs> lived in a little country town. Probably didn't even get it at the movies. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit. Fu- it's like sci-fi futuristic kind of dystopian. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, I think it would have been a few years later that I would have seen it, probably. Right. Yeah. And so obviously it didn't like make a huge impression. It wasn't like a, an influential piece of work in your life. No, because I didn't know what I was going to do or anything like that when I was that age. It was like I think it's also one of those movies that you see when you're younger and you don't really appreciate no, as much. Not. And like now with my background and yes. what I've studied, I'm like, oh, it's such a cool movie. Well, I guess I guess I'm really looking forward to seeing it again at the cinema. And the 
the ideas about eugenics, you know, and yeah. the, the moral kind of implications of doing that. And, yeah, that's going to be um, I think really that's why it's a really cool sci-fi movie because it doesn't just like, – you know how some movies really focus on, like, the technology? Yeah. I think – like, it doesn't. Like, that's there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Hey, we can, you know, genetically engineer kind of whatever we want kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But – the focus is more about the human side of that and the ethics and yes. the morals and everything that go behind it. Yes. So it's not like a focus on the on the tech. But it was also so kind of ahead of its time. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, 97, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. We'd like only just cloned Dolly the Sheep the year before. That must have been it. You know, it would have been that kind of uh, in even, the zeitgeist. Yeah. We hadn't even sequenced... I mean, we didn't sequence the human genome till 2003. Wow. So it really was ahead <laughs> so of time. So even, I think it was the first, like, bit of the human genome we'd sequence once until, like, 1999. That's so what I love about sci-fi. Years after the movie. Yeah, it, it has this real forward, forward-thinking kind and of And this one, particularly, it. I think, particularly relevant now when you look at what's happening with genetic technologies and sure. how they've changed. Uh-huh. Like, Things are just advancing so quickly. Mm-hmm. When this movie was made, it was very much a, a science fiction, you yep. know, and it's very quickly becoming a science reality. I think sure. that's why it's kind of a cool movie too. It's it's not particularly far fetched. It's very it is actually that's interesting that's quite to hear you grounded say that. in reality. Yeah. Um, so I was sort of thinking about I guess when it did come out and Dolly the Sheep was cloned, and I remember. I mean, I was young too, but I remember hearing that you know, genetic modification was yeah. getting get, – gets a really bad rap, right? Yeah, um, and know, it still does in many parts. Yeah, yeah. So um, – but obviously there's lots of good being done in this this field as well. Oh, so, yeah. So, you know, how do you balance that? Like, or, or what's what's going on in that space now? Is it – does genetic modification, genetic engineering get the same kind of – bad rap (laughs) i think it depends on what's what's happening with it at the time like a couple of years ago now that we've got crispr um, ability to do gene editing right right and so then a couple of years ago we had uh these world's first gene edited babies being born huge controversy right and and the scientist who did that is now in jail Uh, yeah kind of not really allowed to meddle with people in that way Mm. but we can use things like gene editing or have the potential to use them for really good things. Mm. You know, we've been talking about before, like gene therapy, mm-hmm. you know, the idea that people have genetic disorders yeah. and things, and, you know, we could actually use these genetic technologies to help people. But then it's like, where's the where's the line? What exactly. do you draw the line at? And that's the discussion that's really happening at the moment because it's, and it's not a new discussion. Like as soon as we basically discovered the ability to start manipulating DNA and making recombinant DNA and mm-hmm. you know, doing any sort of gene editing, we started having these discussions about, hang on, this is a thing we can do now or some people are going to try and use this very, very yeah, bad just because <laughs> bad Just things. because we, we can doesn't, doesn't mean, mean we, we should. should. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. So I think almost the technology is progressing faster than the certainly faster than the law can keep up with things and often faster than even those ethical kind of discussions can but there are like you know every now and then huge worldwide moratoriums and you know a whole bunch of leading scientists get together and discuss all these kind of ethical and moral issues around the technology but is it just getting does it just get really murky when it comes to like humans or yeah mostly Because we're we're doing all sorts of things with plants. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, like like genetically modified plants. Like, 
I can't remember what proportion of like soybeans it is in the world are genetically modified. And it's not huge. It's really not possible to feed everybody without no. those kinds and of technologies. And we're doing all sorts of <laughs> modifications. To, like even in Australia, we have a number of different genetically modified plants being mm-hmm. grown. You know, we make things that are pest resistant. We make things that are more drought tolerant, mm-hmm. whatever it is. So plants we're kind of like going yeah. a bit nuts on. Animals, not so much. There's a, a few examples like the, what do you call them? There's a particular type of salmon. Uh, the genetically modified ones, can't remember what they're called now, okay. but they grow really fast. Oh, of course. So they farm them and they grow yeah. really fast and make a lot more money than if you're trying to yeah. breed them normally. Um, but, so yeah, the... animals is not really a thing that we do. I mean, it's much harder. It's much easier to make a genetically modified plant okay, um, as opposed to an animal. But, um, like, all of our, like, livestock have been bred um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so is there... What's the difference? What's it's the difference kind of between? the same thing. We're okay. just speeding up those processes. Indeed, okay. And when you obviously when you're doing selective breeding, you can't introduce genes from some other okay. species, right? Right. But with gene technologies, we could do that. Okay. Um, so that's like with the salmon, right? They're putting a like, growth hormone, oh, a gene yes. that makes growth hormone in them to make them grow really fast. Oh, it's like they make the the mice glow. Yeah, you yeah. can make the mice glow. The yeah. glowing you can, for that's a little cool. for a little while back in the early two thousands, there was glowing fish like goldfish that oh. were <laughs> fluorescent that you could buy. Oh, gee. I don't think the company that was making them did that. I don't think it lasted very long. Yeah, but See, it was more like of a gimmick than anything. Issue as well. <laughs> But yeah, but we're using a lot of things like genetically modified bacteria and microbes yep. for things like you know insulin. Right? Oh, how many wow. people rely on insulin? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so how do we make that? We genetically modify bacteria, make them so that they can produce that protein, and just grow them in big vats and harvest all the insulin for people. Is that amazing? Growth hormone and other things. So a lot of pharmaceutical stuff comes from can come from genetically modified. Yeah microbes usually yeah um and does this yeah. technology feed back into your own research like is that something that you have to kind of encounter when you're not not really it's kind um, of peripheral to i guess you know i get asked about it every now and then yeah, it's okay. like well, why are you why are you looking at dna and genes and like you couldn't you know identify, how are you going to use that you it's couldn't not like, like remove can... the depression gene from people and we'd all be happy forever yeah. <laughs> See, that's where I think that, and that's where I think where it gets really, really kind of maggy. Sure. Um, yeah, that idea that we, and there is a lot of research into different things, you know, and, and sort of the genetic basis behind them. And people sometimes are questioning, you know, why are we actually doing that research? Mm. You know, there's there's been some studies which have been looking at genetics and like homosexuality or um, people who are transgender and, you know, going, is there something genetic that's causing this? Right. And, and I kind of go, well, why do you care? Yeah, okay. Like mm-hmm. with things like depression, we want to use that information to help maybe, you know, select treatments for people. That's, mm-hmm. I guess, one thing. But like, does it actually matter if there's a genetic basis to something uh, like homosexuality? Yeah. We don't need to fix it, right? So sure. why do we actually care? Mm-hmm. So I think we've got to think about the questions that we're asking yeah, I- and what, that knowledge would be used for. Um, yes, you have to be quite judicious in how you approach some of these problems. It's all kind of a lot of it's new ground, it seems. Yeah, exactly. And as far as you know, modifying plants and animals and things, people are kind of like, you know, I mean, people are not, not always on board with genetically modified organisms. Sure. But we can very clearly say, okay, the reason we want to modify this particular plant is so that it can grow in this area. You know, climate's changing, things are getting hotter, we need plants that are more drought resistant. Mm-hmm. It's a very yeah. clear outcome. But yeah. then suddenly when it comes to people, 
things yeah. get a little bit more murky. Like, why do we want to know and what are we going to use that information for? So yeah. that's where it gets tricky. Yes. Oh, thank you so much for chatting. I think that we've, pro- we've gone probably well over time, <laughs> I would say. We could talk all day, clearly. <laughs> we definitely, definitely could talk all day. The 24-hour um, podcast with Mary and Marissa. Wow. <laughs> that's a challenge. Um, be some so, fun science ideas by the end of that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would really be um, pushing the limits, I think. <laughs> Um, So, yeah, thanks for chatting and thanks so much for coming down next week to talk with Gattaca. I'm really, really looking forward to it. I am too. I haven't seen it for ages. It's awesome to see genetics on the big screen. Hell yeah. Yeah, very cool. Thanks again. Cheers. Thank you.